Hello, everyone. This has been a wild week. I'm coming to you from our church building on 25th. I sit here uh, sipping some coffee, sit under our heater, got my Lent candle going. Uh, If you are listening, thank you for staying connected with our Sunday Rhythm by podcast. We are still in the midst of figuring out some ways that we can meet virtually over the next few weeks. So as those develop, I will let you know. It wasn't an easy decision to cancel, especially since we are a small church. But as the events of the last few days have transpired and as we've grown in our understanding of what's happening and the precautions we can take, uh, we believe that closing our building uh, to public gatherings was the right move, and I'm glad that we did it. As a city, we are certainly in some preventative measures rather than reactionary, and I'm hopeful that the next few weeks we will see this curve flatten, as the experts are saying, as we are being more cautious and mindful of the ways that we are interacting in larger groups. Throughout the next few weeks, I would encourage you to carve out some time on Sunday night. Stick to this evening rhythm with family or friends, a roommate, a significant other, and take some time to listen to to the podcast. I believe that a weekly worship gathering is one of the most important rhythms that we can hold as Christians. So I'm encouraging us to continue to hold on that rhythm the best that we can um, in the comfort of our own homes. So to give you an idea of this podcast, we'll have a sermon and then I'll actually have the prayer of examine at the end of the sermon as well. So that'll be consistent with what we do on Sundays. And then as I end the prayer of examine, I will end with the generosity prayer as well. I believe now, perhaps more so than ever, a posture of generosity is is what I hope that I have and that our church has as we move into the uncertainty of the next few weeks. Honestly, I am really hopeful about the next few weeks for our church. While it comes at a challenging time specifically for us as we are trying to grow, especially on Sundays, uh, I'm anticipating hearing encouraging and creative stories about how we've continued to be connected to one another and serve our community. Now, let's jump in. We continue in our series on the Beatitudes during this season of Lent. We practice giving up and taking up throughout the season. We give up things that distract us from God and his work in our lives and world. And we take up practices that help us help connect us with God and with others. Lent is a beautiful season for creating space and listening to God. In this season and the uniqueness that we have, we have a little more time to create space for God, um, to be still, to be silent, to be in solitude. In this season, we learn and we listen and we long for the resurrection and we anticipate Easter. Now, two quick disclaimers that I, that I give every week that I believe are helpful reminders of how we approach the Beatitudes. The first is this. The Beatitudes is not a list of truths. N.T. Wright says this about this. Jesus is not suggesting that the Beatitudes are simply timeless truths about the way the world is or about human behavior. If he was saying that, he is wrong. Mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. And those who long for justice often take that longing to the grave. These are not a list of truths. That's the first thing. The second thing is these are not a list of virtues to achieve. It's not something that we look at that we say, we want to be poor in spirit. We strive to mourn. We strive to, see, to be meek or so on. It's not these things. It's a royal announcement that God is turning the world upside down. The temptation is to read these as a list of virtues of good people ought to be these things, but I don't think that's what's happening. I came across this quote this week from Barbara Brown Taylor about the Beatitudes, and this is what she says. 
Much of the power of the Beatitudes depends on where you are sitting when you hear them. They sound different from on top than they do underneath. They sound different up front than they do in the back. Up front with the religiously satisfied and self-assured, they sound pretty confrontational. But way in the back with the victims, the dreamers, the pushovers, and the fools, the Beatitudes sound completely different. They're the same words in every place, of course. It's just the ears that change. The Beatitudes assumes that there is someone who is already this way in your community. It's a statement that you belong when you are these things, not when you do these things. Now, the practice that we have is to read scripture together. Now, obviously, there's some impediments to doing that. So I would encourage you to pause the recording, take a few moments, and to read the Beatitudes. Read Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10. Go ahead and pause and do that. Tonight, we are focusing on verses 5 and 9. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, and blessed are are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Being meek or meekness is a uniquely Christian concept. I looked for a while this week and couldn't find any articles related to meekness outside of a Christian realm. It's certainly not something that you find in a business journal or the top five ways of being successful. Meekness does not make that list. Meekness is not associated with strength, power, winning, success, or anything of the like. Throughout this series, we've talked about how the list of Beatitudes of who Jesus says is blessed is a list that we would certainly not create today in America in 2020. Our list would be more like, blessed are you when you are strong and successful and have a good job. Blessed are you when you have a family or a significant other or you have plenty of relationships and connections. Blessed are you when you are successful or influential when you are wealthy. It's rarely ever blessed are you when you are poor or meek or persecuted. If you peruse the internet for articles on meekness, one of the things that you'll come across in Christian circles is this phrase, meekness is not weakness. Now, I tried to get through the sermon without saying that, but it was unavoidable. Meekness is not weakness. Even as Christians, we have a preference towards strength and an aversion to weakness. We can't even talk about meekness without clarifying first that it's not weakness. We don't like the idea of meekness and coming across as being submissive or bulldozed. We don't like any type of weakness, even as Christians. We even think that Jesus fits in this category. Well, Jesus wasn't weak because he turned over tables in the, tem- in the temple and he endured this gruesome death on the cross. Therefore, meekness is not weakness. Those are not the same things. But I believe that Jesus was weak. I believe that he became weak. That's the whole point of Philippians 2. God became a human and forfeited power and authority to choose weakness. This is the emptying that Paul is talking about. This is weakness, and we have to stop being afraid of weakness. I'd like to submit two ways to look at this meekness. The first is that meekness is being physically oppressed, or to be weak, or to be powerless. One of the reasons that this statement is so radical from Jesus is because he says the meek will inherit the earth. 
The meek are not strong. They possess no power. They possess no force. Yet Jesus is saying these are the ones who will inherit the earth. At this time, the Roman Empire ruled throughout their strength and oppression. And it's possible that the majority, if not all of the people that Jesus is talking to, find themselves as subjects who are powerless underneath the Roman Empire. They are meek. They are physically oppressed. They are without power. Jesus is talking to a group of people who find themselves as meek. Taxation underneath the Roman Empire was enormous. Some suggest anywhere from 70 to 90%. Jobs are unreliable and only available one day at a time. They're living in a male-dominated society where power is consolidated to a few. The radicalness of Jesus' statements is hard to take in. He's saying that a group of people that are powerless, moneyless, and oppressed, that they will inherit the earth. This is especially powerful because land was often taken by force or through war. It's rarely given up. Inheritance here implies that whoever is receiving this is a gift. In this case, this land is a gift. They didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus is promising this inheritance simply to those who find themselves as being meek, as being physically oppressed and powerless. So that's the first way to think about meekness, as being physically oppressed, powerless, or weak. Next, we can think about being meek as a posture to hold. But to be clear, it is not only this, it is both of these things. Being meek is the ability to absorb criticism and adversity without lashing back. It's closely linked with humility. It's being calm, it's being a non-anxious presence. Meekness is a posture and it depends on a deep hope and a deep commitment to God. It's a reliance on God and his work. This is what Bonhoeffer writes in his book, Life Together. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This community of strangers possesses no inherent right of its own to protect its members in the world. Nor do they even claim such rights, for they are meek. They renounce every right of their own and live for the sake of Jesus Christ. When reproached, they hold their peace. When treated with violence, they endure it patiently. When men drive them from their presence, they yield their ground. They will not go to law to defend their rights or make a scene when they suffer injustice, nor do they insist on their legal rights. They are determined to leave their rights to God alone. Their right is in the will of their Lord, that and no more. They show by every word and gesture that they do not belong to the earth. But Jesus says they shall inherit the earth. To these, the powerless and the disenfranchised, the very earth belongs. Those who now possess it by violence and injustice shall lose it. And those who have utterly renounced it, who are meek to the point of the cross, shall rule the earth. That's from Bonhoeffer. Meekness is both someone who is physically oppressed and powerless and someone who has a posture of humility living for the sake of Christ. It's a deep hope and commitment to God. Commentator William Barclay translates this verse as this, blessed is the man who has the humility to know his own ignorance, his own weakness, and his own need. Our second beatitude for the evening is, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, these two Beatitudes 
meek and peacemaker are nicely summed up in Psalm 37. Many commentators believe that Jesus is referring to this psalm. This is what verse 11 says. The meek will inherit the, the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. It's easy to see these connections here. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So first we have meek and next we have peace and prosperity. As said above, meekness can be a posture. So if meekness is the posture, then I believe that peacemaking is the practice. This word peacemaking is the only occurrence here in the New Testament, but it's not a novel idea to the Jews. Peace has a long, rich history throughout the Old Testament, and it's found in the Hebrew word shalom. Here's a good understanding of the concept shalom from the theologian Nicholas Wolterstorff. This is what he says. Shalom is the human being dwelling at peace in all his or her relationships with God, with self, with fellows, with nature. The peace which is shalom is not merely the absence of hostility, not merely being in right relationship. Shalom at its highest is enjoyment in one's relationships. Shalom is not merely the absence of hostility or tension. It's the highest enjoyment of one's relationships. Shalom is not only something that's between us and God, but it's between us and our neighbors. It's between us and our world, our environment. Shalom or peace is all-encompassing. It's not just one aspect of one relationship. Being a shalom maker or a peacemaker becomes a lifestyle, and we certainly have our work cut out for us. We prefer winning to peace or compromise. We prefer demonizing the other rather than understanding and promoting peace in all relationships. We prefer possessions and excess rather than caring for creation. We prefer the quick, easy solution of war and violence to the long, slow, humbling process of making peace. N.T. Wright says this, blessed are the peacemakers. How will we ever learn that? In a world where war in one country means business for another, unless the church stands in the middle and says that there's a different way of being human, a different way of ordering our common life. To be a peacemaker, to seek the highest enjoyment in one's relationship, it requires limitation, it requires sacrifice. It requires standing in the middle of conflict. Being a peacemaker typically means a posture of meekness. Knowing our need, being teachable, being humble, being non-anxious. It means radically depending on God, being desperately hopeful for the world where we can say that everyone has the highest enjoyment in their relationships. It's easy to look around and to see division It's easy to look around and see fear and anxiety, especially right now amidst the coronavirus. We don't hear messages of peace, of love. We hear messages that typically demonize others, cautions to stay away, cautions to be suspect of one another. But I believe that as followers of Jesus, that our Posture is that of meekness, and our practice is that of peace. May we be radical peacemakers with a posture of humility. 
throughout this series, we've said that we believe that it is our role to listen to and to align ourselves with those who find themselves in the pages of the Beatitudes. Listen to those who are meek. Listen to those who are physically oppressed, who are weak, who are vulnerable. Align ourselves with those. Who are those in our community, especially at this time, that are weak and that are vulnerable? Listen to those who are peacemakers. Those who are standing in the middle of conflict, in the middle of divisive times, and seeking peace and flourishing of all relationships? How do we align ourselves with those peacemakers? Is there someone that you know who has a natural disposition of humility, of teachability, of being non-anxious in a time of conflict and fear and tension? Who are these people? How can you listen to and align yourself with them? We have an incredible moment before us. When fear and anxiety are rampant, we have an opportunity to bring love and to make peace. When it's easy for us to fear our neighbor because they may be infected, we choose love. We choose humility. Please know that if you need anything, you can contact me, you can call me, you can email me at joe at thesacredgrace.com. I would love to be able to help out in any way that I can. I firmly believe that this is a time for us to reach out to our friends, to our neighbors, where we can extend love and humility, where we can be a peacemaker between friends and households and strangers. May we encourage one another towards love and good deed. Before I lead us through a prayer of examine, I'd like to close with this poem. This was recently written by a woman named Lynn Unger. And I believe that this is a beautiful picture of this moment that we have before us and how we can live into it as followers of the way of Jesus. This poem is called Pandemic. What if you thought of it as the Jews consider the Sabbath, the most sacred of times. Cease from travel, cease from buying and selling. Give up just for now on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing, pray, touch only those to whom you commit your life. Center down. And when your body has become still, reach out with your heart. Know that we are connected in ways that are terrifying and beautiful. You can hardly deny it now. Know that our lives are in one another's hands. Surely that has come clear. Do not reach out your hands. Reach out your heart. Reach out your words. Reach out all the tendrils of compassion that move invisibly where we cannot touch. Promise this word. Promise this world your love. For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, so long as we all shall live. As we move into the prayer of examine, I will give us prompts and there will be silence. This is a way for us to examine our day, the places to see that God is moving. 
The first is to acknowledge God's presence and ask for grace to review your day. Start by taking a deep breath in and out. Review the events of the day with a posture of gratitude. Trace through your day as best you can. The point is not to be perfect, but to reflect back onto key moments. Thank God for the experiences, interactions, and people you encountered. Pay attention to your emotions. Help identify a consolation or desolation for the next step. Recognize a consolation and a desolation from the day. A consolation being an experience where you felt alive, at peace, joyful, happy, comforted, and connected. A desolation being an experience where you felt drained, frustrated, sad, alone, unaccepted, far from God. Recognize these things. The next step is to pray through your consolation and desolation. Talk with God about why that experience was a consolation to you. Thank God for your consolation.
talk through what was going on and what you were feeling in your desolation. Ask for grace to see what's going on and how you can learn from that experience. If you need to repent from anything, express that desire to God and receive his loving forgiveness. Thank God for the experience and for the chance to grow from it. Lastly, look forward to tomorrow with hope. Pray for anything upcoming that you need grace with. And close with thanksgiving for this prayer of examine. Amen. Every week we close our service with the generosity prayer. And now, perhaps more than any time for us as a church, I believe that our posture should be that of generosity. To be generous with all our resources, our time, our relationships, our possessions, and our money. So will you pray this prayer with me? All that we have, we have received from God. We bring nothing into this world, and we take nothing out of it. We choose to follow the way of Jesus and increase in generosity until it can be said there is no one in need among us. We choose to resist envy, greed, gluttony, and sloth as these plunge our hearts to ruin. We choose to be faithful with all our resources, time, possessions, relationships, and money. We choose to be generous because our Father is generous and has his daughters and sons. We want to show the world what he is like. I love you all. Now go out into the world with grace and peace to love and serve the Lord.